1: You're very welcome to the second ever Irishman running abroad marathon episode. It's not a marathon, it's going to be the usual length, but it is all about marathon training. If you're thinking about going for it or if you're right in the depths of training for it, this episode is going to answer all of your questions. In fact, that's how this episode came about. A couple of weeks ago, we did the Ask Sonia Anything episode. And rather than soak up loads of time in that episode with the questions around marathons, we said we'd give you this, a full deep dive into how to run 26.2 miles and how to train for it. Later in the show, I'll be joined by Paul Tonkinson, the comedian, the writer, presenter and author of 26.2 miles to happiness. A Comedian's Tale of Running, Red Wine and Redemption. It is my favourite running book. So I'm completely buzzed up to have Paul on the podcast. He also hosts his own running podcast called The Running Commentary Podcast with Rob Deering. You need to check that out. But we need to catch up with Sonia, who's right now back in Villanova. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I'm very close to the campus at the moment. I'm staying actually with a friend of mine. She's the... Villanova women's cross country and track and field coach Gina Procaccio. She was one of the athletes that I stayed with when I first visited Villanova because when you sometimes when athletes are trying to decide which university to go to, you can go on a recruiting trip.
2: Yes. And
0: so you go to visit the campus, and then a few of the athletes will host you and they take you around and show you all the sites and all the fun things to do and you know where they go running and all sorts of things so in a way I feel like I'm you know back at the beginning again wow (laughs) revisiting all the different you know places that I would have seen on that recruiting trip and Uh, and, then continued throughout my time here at Villanova uh,
1: let me ask were you blown away when you arrived and saw it because i've heard of these trips i always hear about them about basketball players that they'll have their jersey already ra- made up for them did they do the same kind of hard sell for you or was it just a case of this is who we are this is what we've got we think you'll love it
0: well this was way back way way back in the 80s in 1987 so there was- wasn't you know there was no social media or anything like that so there was you know and there was probably a lot more rules and restrictions so Mm. they weren't actually allowed to give you anything so you weren't given you know you know you come here and you you've you've looked in all you've seen all the the brochures and the athletes and all the nice gear and you're kind of thinking you'd love to get a piece of that and you kind of think (sighs) oh maybe they might give me something (laughs) (laughs) and even you know I suppose nowadays when athletes come they'd even go to the book Store, which is where they also have you know the kind of sweatshirts and Mm. caps and you know all the kind of cool looking stuff. But you know, coming from Ireland in 1987 as a 16 17 year old, I had no idea about this, so I was kind of overawed just by you know just it was just so different, everything was so much bigger, and yeah, everything was here that you needed. You know, I mean, I think at home in Cove, I was running around the field. I went to local school, to the gym and I did a lot of running by myself. And, and that was a big attraction for me to go to college in America was to, you know, join a team and to be a part of a team mm. and to have other girls to run with. And, you know, that it's it's you kind of have this, you know, ideal thing in your head that, you know, it's all going to be fantastic. But, you know, I think most athletes who go to college, they have their ups and downs and, you know, they're all testing and challenging times that they have to get through because everything is so different. And, you know, the lessons that you learn are the things that kind of build you up and make you stronger. And, you know, they're the things that you fall back on when you're in a race and things get tough. Mm. And you can recall, you know, the hard times you had when you were really young and how you got through it and, you know, push yourself onto the next level. So, yeah, no, I mean, Villanova for me was a massive learning curve. It was a huge kind of growing up phase for me in my life. So, yeah, it's always really special to come back here. And I'd I say it's changed
1: off. like so much. Like when you think about 1987, like we could do a full episode on this, but I'm careful <laughs> not to over over on our introductory part here. But like it must be unrecognisable from what you knew.
0: Oh, it's amazing. Like I came because I kind of followed the same journey that I would have done on a few occasions by myself you know as a 17 18 year old uh, arrived in new york city and you know took the train somehow managed, i don't know how i did it back then because it's a little bit easier now but i somehow got from jfk Air- airport into the um, 30th street station no no penn, penn station,
1: station yeah. in, in, um, no one came to
0: me penn you. station in, in Oh, well, the first time I came, yes. But then, you know, there would be a couple of times when you would come back, yeah,
1: back yeah, by yeah. yourself
0: when you, you know, you're there a couple of years. So, you would know, it then so mm. come back at Christmas time. I remember particularly this trip really well and walking through, you know, I had to get from one train station over to Penn Station. So you'd walk through the streets of New York in the dark by myself carrying three <laughs> bags, you know, because I wanted to You bring an author to crack back <laughs> with you. And this was the days before wheelie bags. So I did this on Friday morning by myself and I had two wheelie bags, two small wheelie bags and I had my backpack. And so it was like reliving the whole thing all over again. But this time I decided I didn't want to do it at night time. I wanted to do it in the day. So I was going to stay stayed with a friend from Cove who very kindly put me up and, you know, even went for a run with me in Central Park on Thursday morning and yeah, no, it was a bit surreal the fact that when I'm like, you know, 51 years old now that I was being more careful and kind of more aware of stuff yeah. than I was as a friggin' 18 year old.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just bald headedly just going after it. I, I know yeah, what you mean. Yeah, it's like
0: I was so determined. I'm just going to do this. Why can't I do it? <laughs> and then i the one thing I really clearly remember... I ride. You get the train, then into Thirtieth Street in F- Philadelphia, and then you have to train over to the local train and go. That comes out to Villanova, and you land right in the middle of campus. But when I arrived this one time, it was in January, and it was like snow everywhere. And you know, I had to get from the train, and you know, you're, you've been traveling all day, and you, you know, you, well, you get tired, and you're emotional, and it's just a mess. Mm. So this time when I arrived and I get off the train and there's all these new buildings everywhere. And I knew it had changed because I'd seen heard about it. And I get off the train and I'm kind of thinking, I know you have to go to the other side of the tracks, but it all looks the same on both sides of the tracks now. (laughs) (laughs) And the train station is now a coffee shop. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a coffee and then work it out.
1: (laughs) something you would never have done at Uh, 17 years old i'm gonna gather myself no at 17 you go i'm gonna get there now
0: yeah and it was so funny because i knew i had to go under the train tracks and to the other side but i was doubting myself if that was right or not you know did i really remember it because it looked so different that my memory of the actual geographical, you know, positioning of where you should be. (laughs) It just didn't make sense. (laughs) So anyway, I got to the other side of the tracks and I walked down to the they call it the field house, which is where the track team office is, and um yeah, arrived uh ready to join the team and go for a run with them.
1: (laughs) Well you know there is parallels here in what you've just experienced and what we're gonna talk about. The kind of I think it's called the Dunning Kruger effect that We don't know what we don't know. And that when people launch themselves into training for marathons, they haven't done enough training to know about all of the stuff that they don't know. They don't know how much they don't know. So in so many ways, loads of people launch into this going, I'm going to run a marathon. Understanding that they don't know some stuff, but not knowing the extent to which they are oblivious to everything that's needed. Some of the questions we received were obviously from people who got it and are in it and maybe not for the first time. I thought maybe the best thing for you to do, Sonia, was to introduce a couple of the questions that we received from our listeners, because a lot of them get repeated, these questions. So you fire away with the first one that caught your eye.
0: Okay, so, well, the first one I got this week and this was just kind of looking back quickly over, you know, messages that people sent last week and Mm. questions that people asked that I didn't get to because I was traveling and didn't always have Internet. So Padraig McColgan, who he's he's been I've seen him a few times, Bob, up in our Strava group and he is in Japan. He's an Irish runner in Japan. And he was asking the question that he'd run many mar a number of marathons between 2009 and 2019 and he hasn't run any now for two years and he'd like to run another one. And he's he's planning to run one on February the 22nd, which is possibly the Tokyo marathon. I'm Mm. not sure. So that would be what are we now? October, November, December. That's four months away. So 16 weeks away. So there's plenty of time. And he wants to know how he should go about, you know, re kind of positioning himself and getting his mind right to decide to run this marathon again or to be able to run the marathon again and the thing here with Padraig I think is that he knows what's involved and he knows the commitment and you know the training that you have to do and sometimes the more you know the harder it is because you know how difficult it is and as much as a lot of people who train for marathon get to a point in the training where they really they just get so into it and they enjoy it and it becomes everything, you know, you get super fit and and it feels easy. You know, you're out there for two hour runs, but, you know, even if it gets difficult, it's still the satisfaction that you get from it is unbelievable that mm. it's all part of this, you know, decision you've made and you're following a plan. And, you know, whenever you're following a plan, you're ticking off the boxes and Every day you go for a run, every week that you get through, you're getting that one step closer to being ready to run the marathon. So I think for Padraig, I think he just, you know, he's obviously got the date set in his mind. He must have entered this race on February 22nd. Um, he'll probably let us know what it is now. And yeah. We'll be able to track him. And I think, you know, if he really wants to do it, he's got to commit to it sooner rather than later. And the sooner he commits to it, the sooner he can have a plan laid out. And, you know, that becomes part of his life for the next four months. And he, he he just, you know, makes sure that he does it. And that's the biggest thing is the commitment to it. And you have to fully commit. You can't kind of half commit, which is the temptation is to do that. When you've been there before, you kind of think you can get away with stuff.
1: And it's also a protection mechanism, isn't it, to kind of be like, yeah, I'm I'm doing it. But, you know, we'll see how it works out. We we tend to do that when we're scared of failing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I would take out the pen and paper and start writing things down and, you know, filling in little things like where you might run some test races along the way, like half marathon or 10K, you know, what where you're going to put your long runs in and just to gradually start filling in the gaps while you're looking at the short term. I mean, he probably has four weeks where he can just continue to do some normal training and get him in a position so that he's ready to start the build up to the long runs every weekend and the, the specific marathon training and to set a realistic goal as well. You know, mm-hmm. and I think once you have that realistic goal and you work out the paces that you're going to be training at, then, you know, you, you get you get up for the the key sessions and you get up for the long runs and then you do all the other extra little bits just to make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're doing as much as you can to be ready.
1: Well, as we'll hear from Paul Tonkinson later in the show, his book details everything that Sonia's just talked about there, the commitment, the headspace. In fact, a lot of the book that Paul wrote is about that kind of conflict in your mind between what he calls, you know, the, the kind of general The the instructor within you who's like, this is not what we agreed. This is not the plan. And the Snoop Dogg (laughs) who's going, hey, man, take it easy. (laughs) What are we doing this for? Life's bigger than this. Uh, It's beautifully articulated in the book. And I'll get to that with him later, because I think from your perspective, Sonia, you sometimes say things like you just got to make the commitment. But for the normies of us, (laughs) we're like. Uh, A lot of my commitments are quite shaky at the best of times. So when I make a commitment, this has to be different. And Paul talks about in his book, and as we'll talk to him later, about that moment when you click from, oh, I'd like to do this to this is happening. He said that the key to that for him was telling everybody, like actually just going like his his goal was to run a marathon in under three hours. And he told everyone he could as a way of reinforcing it in his own mind. Is that something that you would recommend?
0: Yeah, that's a really good thing to do is to tell people. I think that, you know, you can make the commitment to yourself, but you tre- truly make the commitment when you announce what you're going to do and you tell people, you know, because then there's an accountability factor there. Because from the minute you tell someone you're going to run a marathon, then they're going to they're going to ask you, they're going to follow up and say, how's the training going? You know, what are you up to? When's the race? Yeah. And, you know, they'll be following you. And then and, and that's a kind of that's a good thing as well to have that kind of support. You know, when you have the encouragement of people who they're interested in what you're doing. And then so they're also then understanding when you say. Oh, I can't stay out late tonight, I've a long run plan for the morning. Yeah. And they say, Oh yeah, you're training for the marathon of course <laughs> yeah. and you know, it becomes a bit of a joke, but it's also an allowance that, you know, you don't you're not expected to kind of stay out late or you know, do things that will probably negatively affect your ability to go out there and have a good run on Sunday morning. And and then and and you know, by doing that sometimes you might even you know, influence others to kind of join you, or to think about their own commitment to things, and you you, you might you know convert a few more to to join you in their crusade to the marathon.
1: Yeah, I mean, and but equally, uh, as we know, you can be surrounded by those vectors who are like trying to get drink or alcohol or chips into you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if I know my friends, they're like, oh, one won't hurt you. But like, I think that uh, it's about articulating it, as you say, if you articulate why you're doing it and why it's important to you, to people well enough, they'll usually understand. Now, I say all that as somebody who is still kind of toying with the idea of going after this and giving it that shot. And you mention the mileage, the, the absolute, the amount of training necessary. Rosie Hoey put in as her question, tempo and speed work sessions. And that's, you know, that's on top of, as you say, the long runs, which are going to be such a significant time commitment each week, tempo and speed work. She wants to know in terms of ideas for preparing for a marathon or a half. What does Sonia recommend for that?
0: Well, you know, something like that, it it can all depend on where you're coming from and where you're at mm. and where, you go, where you're going to, you know, so where you're at in the kind of progress towards the marathon. And so the tempo and the speed sessions, they're like a really important part of the the variety that's included in the marathon training so that you're not just out there running the same pace every day, but you're running different paces and, you break it up into the warm-up, the specific session and the warm-down. So you're getting all your mi- miles in, but you're mixing them up a little bit. And you're breaking the session up. You might come out with a 15-mile run, but you, it, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't like that when you set out the door. You were going for your three-mile warm-up and then the tempo session in the middle. And so generally, the, the tempo and the speed sessions, they're aligned with the long runs. So they also gradually progress throughout the the weeks that you're going through. So it's a kind of a gradual build up as you go along. So each week gets a little bit longer, a little bit more specific as you're getting closer to the marathon. And that's why it's so important to have a training program and a plan that you, you know, it realistically fits into your lifestyle and it works around you or you work around it. And then, You know, you're not trying to squeeze things in, but you're actually putting aside the time to be able to do these things properly. Like sometimes you have to squeeze in, you know, the the regular daily runs, you know, early in the morning or late at night. But I think when it comes to the specific speed sessions or tempo runs at marathon pace, you need to put the time aside so that you can get in the right frame of mind to relax when you're doing it Mm -hmm. and to really feel it and absorb it and, and, you know, allow it to be. You know, and enjoy. It's hard work, but it's actually enjoyable. It's satisfying, and you feel like you have kind of fulfilled yourself when you're finished and you've accomplished something. To the point that, you know, it may have made you tired, but it also energizes you for the day because you get a buzz out of it. Mm. And and you don't get that buzz every day because every day runs are just that. They're just everyday runs, and they're you're going to be trudging along just trying to get them in. But the runs that are specific whether they're tempo speed work or long runs you have to be excited about them you have to look forward to them and you have to get stuff out of them but and then to get to give examples of what they might be I mean I I was trying earlier I I was actually looking at another question from a fellow called Johnny in here Johnny
1: Johnny Deaver I think
0: yeah yeah so he was asking about, you know, when I was training for the marathon, how many 20 milers did I do? And then there was Eamon Murphy down further and he has the same question as Johnny. So I can kind of vaguely remember what I did in 2015 because that's the most relevant marathon training that I can give r- recall. Yeah. And kind of I think it makes sense for me to share that level of training with people because It was where I got a deeper understanding of marathon training. And I felt that what I was doing was really helping me to be a better marathon runner and to be able to run at the pace I wanted to run and to be as prepared as I possibly could be. So before we came on here, I was trying to go back and look up this training because I know I, I started training for the marathon. It was in October 2015, the Dublin Marathon. And I started training in around June and July in the winter in Australia and i was trying to i was i had set the pace that I wanted to run at and then worked all my different trainings around it and before we came on today i was I was trying to look this up, but I don't have my written diary with me it's in Australia mm. so I can't actually get it right now <laughs> i i could I could ask Nick to look for it for for me, but then I'd have to read it out to me <laughs> and it's just I I know it's in a small little notebook.
1: Well, we will try and include it in the notes. We'll try and we'll have time to dig it out and we'll put it in the notes for members on Patreon. Another reason to join up is these detailed notes that we give with extra tips from Sonia. So Johnny and Eamon, those exact notes will be there. But this 20 miler thing, is it necessary, first of all, to have a certain number of these under your belt in the lead up or is it possible to avoid doing them? No, you can't avoid doing them. What do you mean avoid doing them? Well, I mean, I am asking asking the question from the perspective of people that might be listening to this going, I mean, I'm just going to try and get through this marathon. I just want to try and get across the line. I mean, that is the noob question. Obviously, you want to run your best race, but the idea of 20 mile runs for people in the lead up, they're like, some people might be thinking, no, I'm going to do a huge long run, but I'm not going to run a marathon in preparation for a marathon.
0: No, but a marathon is 26 miles and 20 miles is a little bit short of that. So <laughs> from what I can remember off the top of my head, when I was trying to go back and look through Strava and I was Friggin' scrolling back through all the Stravas to try and get myself back to 2015. And I just got there. And when I went to get the pen and paper to write it down, it friggin' zoomed itself back up to (laughs) 2021. You've got (laughs) repetitive
1: strains from scrolling. Oh,
0: so I don't know if there's anyone out there who knows how to actually put the date in and get up your, you know, week's block of training for this period of time. (laughs) It would be helping me out. But what I do remember is I never really focused on you know, going for a 20 mile run and how many you had to do. But it was more every week I was gradually increasing. So I know for a long time I was hovering around kind of 25, 26 kilometers. And I was doing it in kilometers because I converted over to kilometers when I started to run a bit slower than seven minute miles and six minute miles. And then I was hovering around five minute kilometers and, you know, then that was kind of my average for normal runs. And then faster ones were faster than five minute k's and slower ones were a little bit slower. So I can remember doing 26 kilometer runs fairly regularly and then up to 28. And then some weeks you would throw in a block, maybe 10 kilometers. Or actually, it started at six kilometers, which is four miles, eight and then 10 at marathon pace. So you'd go out for, you know, 10 kilometers, nice and easy. Then you'd throw in marathon pace for a block and then finish off nice and easy. But what I do remember was I built up to around 32 kilometers. So that would be like 18 miles, I think, 19 miles. Mm. So three times six plus one. So it's about 19 miles at 32 kilometers. And then I tried then to get good at that. So I did that for a few weeks and then I would have done a bit of marathon pace running in between it. And this is very general talking right now. I think, you know, if you're making a specific plan, you have to write it down and plan it out. And this is what I'm going to try and do when I look back at my training. And um, I remember being in Teddington one time and I was going for a 33 kilometre run. Because that was like just, I got good at 32 and I was comfortable with that. And I think it was taking me something like two and a half hours or something to do this. So it's it's a fair chunk of time to be yeah. out there running. And um, I was in London and I was going for my 33 kilometre run. And yeah, that was to me, that was, you know, less than 10 kilometres left to cover And I was confident that I could do that last nine kilometers to the finish. You know, because I had got good at running 32 and 33 kilometer runs. So 33 kilometers is probably around 20 miles. So I think I I only did one or two of those. Wow. And then and then once you get to that point, which is probably about probably three weeks out from the marathon, then you start to cut it back down. And you start to feel good running at the shorter distances, knowing that you've got the long one in the bank because the long ones, they take so much out of you that you have to get to a point where you have to reduce them down and recover from that so that your legs are not tired when it actually comes to the marathon day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I found the Tonkinson book really eye opening because, you know, I had heard the words taper before. But I'd never really taken it on board that what you've just described. He does talk about the wall and we will talk to Paul Tonkinson about that in the interview and how in many ways he felt that marathon runners are training for the wall. It's inevitable that at some point this will your glycogen stores in your muscles will be so depleted that you will feel an overwhelming sense of tiredness. And he said the mistake that people make is calling it the wall because it's not. It doesn't hit you like a pain uh, or a flat surface. He said it's like a submerging or a rising water that encompasses everything around you and can even result in you questioning your life decisions or wanting to leave the course and apologise to someone from years ago. I found the thought of it terrifying. And I wondered if that is true of you for you as much as it is for anyone else. Are you doing those long runs in preparation for I know this is coming, this will happen. It's how I cope with it that will determine how I get on in the end.
0: Yeah, well, I think you do have to get comfortable doing the long runs and to be comfortable doing it, you have to be able to work out the pace that's comfortable to do that. And that pace is often probably slower than you're going to run in the marathon, Mm -hmm. which is kind of strange. And you think, well, if I'm going to run faster in the marathon, I'm going to go, go longer. How does that work? But, you know, when you've all the training is in the bank and then you get to the marathon day and then there's this massive big withdrawal. So you're taking it all out, but you have to you're not taking it all out in one go. You've got to kind of spread your effort throughout the whole marathon. And that's the really key thing is to be able to manage your efforts early on in the race Mm. So that you've got something left at the end. And I think the wall is like, that's a really kind of 80s and 90s kind of term. I don't think people talk so much about the wall anymore. Um, not why that is that? I've heard anyway. I don't know. I think maybe because it was a bit of an illusion and people got there and some people got there and they said, What the hell is this wall? <laughs> <And> they never <laughs> saw the wall. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those low then, walls around the a people, church.
1: You can step over, and you know. <laughs> I mean, you've never yeah, had and it a yourself. Yeah, it's kind of a thing so...
0: that. Well, I did the very first time I ran the race. I mean, I the marathon was in Dublin in 2000, and I just did it on a whim. You know, I just I run the marathon, and I did get to 18 miles, and I think that's around the time of the wall, or the when it when things get difficult, <laughs> and. um Yeah, up to that point, I felt fantastic. And then it did get a little bit difficult. And it was a bit like you just had to concentrate a bit more to be able to give out or to put in the same effort. Mm -hmm. And this happens with every race. Like if you're running a mile or 3,000 or a 5,000, for first, like two thirds of the race, it actually feels pretty good. And you think, wow, this is great. I can keep going at this pace forever. And then all of a sudden it gets a bit hard. And you probably can keep going at that pace, but you have to put in a harder effort. You have to try harder to to maintain the pace and then to also to be able to finish strong at the end. So, yeah, I mean, all the work that you put in is really just kind of getting your body used to that tired feeling, the time on your feet. So even though you're running a bit slower sometimes in the long runs, you're actually out there for the same amount of time that you plan to be out there and you're not wearing yourself down by, you know, running too close to the full marathon distance. And there is people out there who would run, you know, close to like 40k before running a marathon. Really? But you're, you might as well leave the finding out of yeah. the day. You know, if you know you've prepared well, then, you know, just be prepared for the big surprise when you get there and how, how your body is going to react to, you know, getting past 40k and a final two K to the finish.
1: Well, as I said, uh, we're going to talk to Paul Tonkinson after the break. I need to do a quick shout out here to uh, the people that showed up at the Phoenix Park last Sunday for the Irishman running abroad meet up that I organized and then subsequently couldn't go to myself. We're planning to go back to Dublin for the midterm break. Uh, I had shows lined up in the laughter lounge and we were going to cap it all off with a meet up run on the Sunday. Unfortunately, little Mikey came down with coronavirus and was quarantined to his room and masked up doing his schoolwork at his desk like a little trooper. Massive shout out to this. You talk about dealing with pain. I mean, (laughs) this boy loves Ireland more than anyone to watch his heart break when he got his result back. It was soul destroying for all of us. Thankfully, Tina and I took the precautions, didn't catch it. But as a result, we weren't there. That's where Paul Waugh, Stephen Reid, Aoife and Carl Phelan showed up. The hardiest members of the Irishman Running Abroad crew showed up and did the full 8K loop with the extra 8K loop for good measure. I'm going to be sending them. Uh, Irishman running abroad goodies in the post because that that was a a colossal effort. And I was just so proud that they they did it. As you said, Sonia, we, we are going to meet up with the listeners again in April. We have something really big planned. You will be the first to hear about it if you are a member on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. It's the place where you get all of our episodes in full each week, including an Excel version of this episode with the interview with Paul Tonkinson. And, of course, Sonia's illustrated notes with her marathon tips and extra marathon tips. So we're going to take a break now and I'll be back with Paul Tomkinson after the break. And Sonia and I will sign off at the end. But before we go, we have Sonia's tip of the week. Tip of the week, 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 tip of the week. week. It's Sonia's tip of the week which i guess emanates from the key questions you need to ask yourself before you even attempt to go for a marathon i i've heard loads of these uh, like do you have the time have you been running for more than a year is your ch- is your child or your spouse demanding is your job demanding and like can you can you run for this length of time can you put these miles on the clock what, what for you in terms of your tip of the week Sonia would be the key question that people need to ask themselves before heading into this
0: I think the key question to ask yourself would be you know can I put the time aside to do this you know if you have a diary can I make a note in my diary to I need this hour most days of the week to get my training in and you know to commit to it you know, and you can't back out of it. And to do that, I suppose you have to get everybody on side. And so I suppose the tip of the week would be to, you know, make sure that you're, when you decide to do a marathon, uh, that you're doing it for the right reason and you're doing it with purpose. And that could be, you know, that you're doing it for some personal satisfaction. It could be a charitable reason. It could be in honor of somebody to, you know, to do it for somebody else i think there always has to be an underlying reason why you're doing the marathon and then you're not going to let yourself down
1: well what a that's a quality tip of the week Sonia. i mean i know i put you on the spot <laughs> for this one but that is you know finding the why i know the underlying why for my own running is to raise money for jigsaw.ie our chosen charity partner I committed to run 2,000 kilometres in the space of 12 months having never run before. And my I Donate page is gathering a bit of steam as the 12 months rolls round. Please head over there and give what you can. Our next group event will be the Run in the Dark on November 17th. But pop on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmenabroad to hear the second half of my conversation with Sonia O'Sullivan and, of course, Paul Tonkinson. Brian Connolly's on sound, John Marr does the extra research and Tina and Mikey make it all possible. Thanks, Sonia.
2: By contrast, running offers a personal and direct correlation between effort and reward that is deeply attractive. To be blunt, if you train hard, you will be rewarded. There are no shortcuts, which at this stage in history makes it profoundly compelling. We are constantly searching for quick routes to success. New writers, for example, are coached to increase social media reach, gain followers, go viral. Anything but work hard on actual writing. Everybody's getting better at marketing, but nobody's trying to get better at the thing in itself. The value of experience has been constantly eroded in the search for the newest, most sophisticated methodologies. Running doesn't say that. There's no third-party or uncontrollable elements, weather excluding. It's simply you, your body, and what you choose to do with it. Running says, everything you do, your body will remember and adapt to. Run 15 miles today, and in three days, you will be stronger. If you run fast regularly, you will become a faster human. There's no intermediary, just yourself, your training, and immediate effect. Every run is an experience that you are giving yourself, which adds to the whole that you are personally creating. Every day a paragraph, every week a chapter. It's not going through head office. It's not being commissioned. It cannot be taken away from you. You earn this. You keep it. It contains within it a timeless, inescapable justice. There is no magic, except the breathtaking intricacy of human biology and its adaptive qualities. Just hard yards.